Welcome to the Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Tiefertiller. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to another Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics podcast. I will be joined with Rich Rebar. Rich, how's it going? Reese, what's going on, brother? We're flying solo, you and I tonight. Uh, how is everything going this season? How is the, the the 2021 football season treating you right now? It's treating me pretty good. Not too many. The Henry the Henry injury hurt me real bad in one oh, week. Oh, no. But I have a good enough team. I think I'll make it through. How's it been treating you? Uh, everything's good so far. I mean, outside of the dynasty teams that like are planned to be bad, everything else is hanging in. We're, we're hanging on. We're making the most of this season. It's been a unique fantasy season with just uh, really kind of it's been just just Cooper Cup as the kind of anchor. And then we've had a lot of just pockets of production from players. Uh, so it's been highly variant, I think, for a lot of people this season. Whatever works, whatever works. <laughs> so what are some three – what are some things that you've learned so far this season that you either kind of thought you knew or you completely did not know going in? Ooh, that, that's a tough one. Uh, yeah, thinking think about some things that like I did not know. Uh, I don't know from like a like a from like a player stance or like a coaching stance. What are we talking here? Anything. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of what it is. Something that I, I didn't know coming in uh, this season. Um, well, I mean, just this this season, like I said, it's just it's more unique of uh, a season because we don't have really kind of you know these guys just carrying you know th- like your leagues right now. You don't have uh, basically Christian McCaffrey. The running back position's been completely banked up at the top. Uh, even the running backs that have not been injured. When you think of Ezekiel Elliott or Alvin Kamara or Aaron Jones, even those guys have had pretty cattywampus production that's been up and down. Uh, so really kind of like, I guess what we learned is like, there is no kind of like tried and true, like foolproof kind of strategy uh, for fantasy football on a given season. Every, every season is a snowflake. Uh, things, things turn uh, on a dime in this season, especially where you might be hot for a month, cold for a month, get back hot. Uh, just kind of ride this ebb and flow of the season, try to get on the the right wave and being in the right pockets of production to kind of, Rich, you there? I had like a smash on DJ Moore, but also, you know, Sam Darnold's play wasn't particularly strong and it's done, done nothing but continue to trend her downwards. And DJ Moore's gone with him. Uh, you know, Terry McLaurin's the same way. You know, a guy that, you know, got hurt is going to deal with unstable quarterback play. Uh, so if you can just see some initial trends and, and get out on some guys early or be on some guys like that, are, they get production that's rising, you know, like Pat Fryer, we started to have an extended role a couple weeks ago and then Eric Ebron got hurt and it just got, you know, kickstarted and elevated. So just little things like that to kind of pay attention to, uh, to dial in on, you know, the season. And we got to stay on our toes this year. It's like I said, if you don't have Cooper cup, uh, you're dealing with, you know, a lot of high variance week to week. Yes. For me, it was that just because the player is cheaper does not mean it's the better value play. You looked at it a couple of years ago with Michael Gall for Samari Cooper. Cooper was easily the better fantasy player uh, in 2020 than Gallup was. Yet a lot of people were on Gallup just because he was the hot, cheaper option. This year, mm-hmm. he came at Kaffer's Tyler Lockett. There, a lot of people were on Lockett just because he's the cheaper option. 
he has but outside of two or three games, he has not produced extremely well. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a great one. I mean, the guy, the more expensive guy is typically more expensive for a reason. <laughs> you know, it's uh it's easy to look past that sometimes. Yeah. Value-based drafting is important, but you also have to realize the value may not always be in the cheap. A thousand a hundred thousand dollar Corvette is still a much better deal than a thirty thousand dollar Honda Civic. <laughs> I listen, you're, uh, you, you know, you're, you're getting your license here soon, right? Uh, what you got, you have a car line, you have a car lined up already. Um, not yet. I have enough money from a summer job and I'm getting my license in a little under a week. So yeah. might get dad's old car too. So nice. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Especially if it's a nice Volvo. So one of the main storylines going into this year was how the rookie quarterbacks would play. The five main rookie quarterbacks would pan out with Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. And a lot of people have varied opinions on how each have looked. Rich, what are yours? Yeah, I mean, it's been a struggle. I think we were spoiled a little bit by Justin Herbert last year. You know, those those types of seasons don't happen as often as, you know, we tend to think they do. A lot of times these guys do take a while to get acclimated to the NFL and get their feet wet. And that's kind of what we had happened with, with pretty much all of these guys. I mean, especially, you know, from a fantasy stance, I mean, none of these guys are really, you know, viable, you know, fantasy options right now. Uh, Justin Fields is starting to come along here. Uh, the last couple of weeks with a couple of top 12 scoring weeks, but pretty much in just about all the metrics. I mean, these guys are all, you know, taking their time to get acclimated uh, to the league. Mac Jones has probably had the, the most like uh, harnessing from environment, you know, nurturement, you know, in the right system, uh, kind of knowing to get rid of the football out of his hands, not, not necessarily just on a bad team either. So it's, it's just, it's helped him out a little bit. Uh, but he's been largely more of a, more or less like a, a caretaker in the offense, try not to make mistakes. Uh, so he's been probably the best in terms of just, uh, you know, on-field performance. It's been steady, but also has been easily, easily in the best environment out of those guys. We've seen Trevor Lawrence kind of be up and down. Uh, you know, it's been disappointing him coming out of the bye. We would have liked to see him come out of the bye and play a little bit better than he has these past two games. Uh, but again, you know, he was, uh, you know, drafted to a team that won one football game last year. It was going to be a, a struggle. Uh, you know, these guys don't typically land in good spots. Uh, like I said, Fields is starting to show some signs of life here. Uh, Zach Wilson, uh, we see the night and, cha- night and day change, right? When Zach Wilson's out of lineup, what does Jets offense look like? Not only from now Mike, Mike White for uh, his sample, but also Josh Johnson when he. Uh, take what the defense is giving you easy throws. Zach Wilson wasn't doing those things. You know, he's doing a lot of pressing, uh, holding the ball too long, trying to push the football downfield. And then like Trey Lance, were just still waiting on his opportunity, which could come sooner or later. Uh, you know, if the 49ers fall to three and six, uh, like, you know, they're favored to happen or unfavored, you know, under their underdogs against the Rams. Uh, we could see him sooner or later here if they fall out of it, but all in all, I mean, you, it's kind of what you expect from a rookie quarterback. Uh, these guys are going to struggle, take their lumps, and you just look for kind of continual, continued improvement along the road. Uh, and at least, you know, Justin Fields has provided an inkling of hope the past two weeks. Yes. Well, you mentioned Mac Jones' environment. He's the only one with a decent defense. As the Bears' defense is not what it's been in recent years. The 49ers' defense is too injured to be what it's been in recent years that the Jaguars and Jets defense doesn't really need to be mentioned whatsoever. 
But another interesting thing is none of them really have a good, solid number one receiver except for Fields, who has Allen, but Allen Robinson, but he doesn't throw to him. Or Trey Lance, who hasn't seen the field to get enough chemistry with Debo Sam. That might. Yeah, be- I mean, it's a big deal with these guys. You know, ha- having you know having kind of those anchor guys to target. I mean, Fields. It, it, it's it's interesting because you know when you think about Fields from, from Ohio State perspective, I mean, he never threw to guys that recovered. And you know, Allen Rob. That's why you've seen him have more success throwing to Darnell Mooney, a guy who could separate. You know, you, you know, Fields is a guy who wants to see the throw and then let it rip, uh, you know, and Allen Robinson's a guy, you know, his whole career, he's been more of a contested catch guy. He's not a huge separator. He never really has been. So that's why I think you've seen a little bit of the, the struggle there. Uh, this happens with young, young quarterbacks. Devontae Parker was like this in early in his career uh, with Ryan Tannehill. And it took him getting, you know, a guy like uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick who was willing to throw, you know, to cover players, you know, 50, 50 balls to kind of have his career accelerate. So yeah, but all these guys don't really have like a true alpha, guy i mean you know the jets tried to invest in Corey davis who's more of like a a two guy a wide receiver two uh marvin jones is literally you know uh, a solid play he's a really solid player but a guy you know over 30 years old again not a huge separator not really going to win uh you know running away from people uh the 49ers have weapons we just haven't seen lance play yet uh and then you know mac is throwing to nelson Aguilar and, and tight ends and you know jacoby my his best receiver is a slot player that you know it, it doesn't win downfield either so yeah all these guys don't really have the weaponry uh like i said the, the, what we were a little spoiled with what john herbert gave us last year yeah the smart part of me wants to say well at least most of them will have high draft picks to get a receiver but i know that's not going to happen it's a tough class so we'll just see what shakes out it's not a tremendous wide receiver class coming up I will say, I do think the wide receiver class is, is like a bunch of 1B, 1C options that would, for people who would have been considered that in this past year's draft class, but they're being all grouped in that one tier, like mid to late first rounders of a normal year. Yeah, I think that's what we're going to see, you know, happen, you know, I don't you know, with, with Traylon Burks and, you know, Olave when we get there and those guys, uh, but it, it'll be an interesting year because it's not a strong skill player class. I don't know anything about you know, anything else outside of the skill players yet, but uh, I know it's not a tremendous skill player draft. Well, you never know. Matt Corral could turn into the next Joe Burrow. Yeah, I like it. I like Matt Corral. <laughs> well, he is playing for Ole Miss, you know, where lots of great NFL talents come from, just as Brown and Metcalf that came out three years ago on the same team. Yeah, Dawson Knox is on that team. He's, he's starting to come alive in his third year. Oh, yeah. Elijah Moore was on that team. Amazing that that team, they couldn't win in college, but they're, they're filled with studs. That's almost as, that's near, almost as good as that, those Alabama teams. But the difference is the Mississippi Ole Miss quarterback versus Tua. It's not much contest. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't have many guys thrown to them. Yeah. So talking about like uh, quarterbacks, the difference in good versus bad quarterbacks, what's wrong with Kansas city? There used to be the offensive powerhouse in the league. The envy Patrick Mahomes should be winning MVP awards like none other, but they haven't really been that good this year. I mean, they were they were good the the first six weeks. I mean, they were second in the NFL in EPA per play, and it's been a struggle these last three weeks. I mean, twenty uh, sixth in EPA per play the past three weeks, uh, really not really getting anything any kind of production on the ground whatsoever. They're trying to run the football against some. These lighter fronts, just really no success. I mean, Daryl Williams is now fifth from the bottom 
um, in rushing yards under expectation. So as bad as the Clyde Edwards Lair pick was at the time and still, you know, it even is in hindsight, uh, getting him back potentially this week or the next can at least help them out a little bit and creating, you know, a little bit of, of yardage earned uh, to keep them ahead of the sticks a little bit. And then, you know, they're, they're starting to press a little bit. I mean, you see this, uh, how teams have defended them the past year and a half. They, you know, a lot of teams are, are really going to drop back and play coverage. No one's blitzing Patrick Mahomes. He's bl being blitzed at the lowest rate in the NFL. And, you know, he wants to make plays downfield, uh, but, you know, just, just needs to stay a little more patient. And also teams are defending Travis Kelsey a little differently than they were last year. You've seen them kind of throw DBs at him, really trying to mug him at the line of scrimmage a lot more. Uh, and he's not winning uh, like he was last year in those situations. So everyone just kind of pressing a little bit. Uh, they got to get a little bit of our offensive line play again, too. The past three weeks, Patrick Mahomes is 9 of 32 passing under pressure, 2.9 yards per attempt. Uh, over the first six weeks, he was averaging 8.6 yards per attempt under pressure. So pressure has been a problem. Uh, probably will be a problem again on Sunday night because the Raiders, they don't blitz, but uh, they, they are fifth in the NFL in pressure rate. And that without blitzing, Yannick Ngakwe has really kind of been the player he was, you know, earlier in his career. And Max Crosby has been excellent as well. So that's a great uh, kind of a matchup to watch on Sunday night. Uh, it's interesting too, because the Raiders don't really play a lot of the defenses that have given the Chiefs trouble, which is a lot of the two high safety looks. The Raiders are actually number one in the NFL in, you know, one high safety looks defensively. They're one of the few teams that really just live in cover three. So it'd be interesting to see if it opens up maybe a couple of these shot plays that they've missed a few weeks and Tyreek can land one. Uh, it's probably not going to be any of the other guys. Uh, you know, the, the, and that's the other problem too, is they're not really getting contributions from any of their depth. Uh, you know, it, it would have been a nice spot for maybe Odell to go and contribute. But, you know, McCall Hardman really has never found his niche as a receiver. Josh Gordon, we've seen that's not led nowhere so far. Uh, and then you've got Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle, who are just kind of guys out there. So um, a little bit of a little bit of uh, everything kind of pulled together. Uh, I still believe in, you know, in Andy Reid and I still believe in Patrick Mahomes, the talent uh, for them to kind of pull this together and try to right the ship here over the back uh, end of the season. They still have five division games left. So, I mean, it's in their hands right now. For me, the problems were because I'm I live, I'm from Oklahoma, so we use OU games for going on in our house. And Patrick Mahomes would have the same problem as Spencer Rattler, where he would teams were letting him throw, he would get overconfident and try to thread the needle into places where normally he could, but teams know he's gonna try to thread the needle and make the hole smaller, and eventually turnovers will accumulate, which has been what's happening with Patrick Mahomes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's definitely just been not patient enough. And we seen it with Josh Allen last week too, uh, you know, with, with the Jaguars approach to them, you know, you, these guys have lived on making plays downfield and Patrick Holmes, especially his, his whole career has really never run into a roadblock yet from making plays downfield. And, you know, just a little impatience. You see the throw against the Ravens that, that basically cost them the game. And then he had another one a couple weeks ago against the, uh, Washington, Washington football team where, you know, he drops the snap and just, you just don't have to do that much, you know, just a little bit of pressing, a little bit more patience, try to, you know, rein it in the, the, a couple of them haven't been his fault to, you know, drop balls and tip balls, but he's definitely made a few where it's just, yeah, just like I said, you, you want to stay a little patient, take what the defense is giving you. And uh, the, the, these guys come out of their shoes a little bit. And we've seen that with Patrick Holmes, even Josh Allen a little bit. So you mentioned, the Bills Jaguars. What have, what were the causes for a bunch of upsets last week? My Broncos came up over the Cowboys. There you go. Derrick Henry last Titans beat the Rams, who many consider to be the best team in the league. 
What were some of the causes for that? I, I think really easily, if you look at all three of those games it, in, in, in the easiest way to, to line it up and tell you what went wrong for all those teams is one is all three of those defenses put pressure on quarterbacks without blitzing. And that's always going to be a problem for quarterbacks from now. It was problem 50 years ago for quarterbacks. It's been a problem probably 50 years from now. If you can get pressure on the quarterback with just sending four players, it's it's going to throw off the rhythm. And what's interesting about the Broncos is previously, you know, everyone that the Cowboys had played were, was was blitz heavy against Dak Prescott. He was coming into last week. He was the most blitz quarterback in the NFL outside of Justin Fields. And the Broncos did not blitz him at all but they consistently got pressure on him with four. The Jaguars did the same thing. The Jaguars were in, they were destroying the Bills offensive line and they're just dropping back and playing coverage. And when you're dropping back and playing coverage with seven and eight defenders in coverage, and you're able to get home with three and four defenders, that's a, that's a huge problem. Uh, you know, there's no holes in the defense, like you said, and then you're going to get guys trying to make mistakes. And that happened to Matthew Stafford on Sunday night. I mean, the, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Simmons was absolutely mashing on Sunday night. Uh, and, and, and it's the same thing that happened in all three of those games. Uh, all of those defensive fronts absolutely destroyed uh, and, and threw those quarterbacks off rhythm. And we're in, and it's not just getting mistakes. It, it, it shakes you for the whole game. I mean, you think of Dak Prescott, he had throws in that game. Dak Prescott had guys open against the Broncos, but he, his rhythm was shaken off immediately and was, wasn't able to get comfortable. And then, you know, you, you know, the inaccuracy starts to follow in those situations. So, I mean, there, there's a number of ways where teams approach, you know, defending those guys, but when you get home with four, it's always going to be a problem. And you're always going to be able to kind of disrupt even the best passers. Yes. You mentioned the Dak Prescott uh, missed throws. I can think of at least two would be touchdown passes to CD lamb that he sailed over CD lamps, including one on fourth down. So yeah, you, I mean, if you're able to just get it, he was he was off rhythm right away. But you mentioned the Jaguars. Could this Jaguars be a recipe for success? Just try one slugfests. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think what happened with the Jaguars, though, I don't know if they will repeat that against a lot of teams because the Bills right now just cannot run the football. Uh, the past in the past three of the past four games, Josh Allen has been their leading rusher, and you know, you look at the past month. Bills running backs have 54 carries for 182 yards, 3.4 yards per carry. Uh, uh, you know, they're just, they're just not able to run the football. So what teams are saying is, and they're not even trying to run the football. They're, they're the past heaviest team on first down uh, and, and teams know this. So they're saying they're kind of daring them to try to run the football. And the Jaguars did that. And the Bills still could do absolutely nothing, even when they tried to run the football and they just abandoned it early because they were getting nothing. So against somebody like the Jaguars play the Colts this week, they're going to have to defend the run. You know, they're going to have to defend the run against the Colts and Jonathan Taylor. Uh, so we'll see, you know, if they're able to kind of pull out. Because they still have major problems personnel-wise defensively. They don't really have a lot of talent there. But when you know what the opposition is going to do and you know they're going to drop back and just throw and you're able to get pressure with four and drop eight guys in coverage, you're going to have some success uh, when the offense is one-dimensional. So we'll see if they can make this uh, a run. But the week before, we saw Geno Smith carve up the Jaguars. So I'm not ready to kind of go, go down the road that they're turning the corner yet. So the, I'm saying this completely joking. Does that mean Geno Smith is better than Josh Allen? <laughs> Transitive property dictates so. <laughs> Transitive property also says the Jets are better than the Titans who just beat the Rams, but <laughs> that's a whole different story. So who are your leaders in the MVP race and the Super Bowl race right now? 
Uh, Tom Brady would be my favorite for MVP. Uh, you know, he had his bye week, still leads the NFL in touchdown passes. Um, so he would be my front runner. And then I think that the guys in the running, I was never really kind of sold on Josh Allen being a true MVP. I think the the guys that are in the running, Matthew Stafford, even still barring what happened, you know, last night, because he's also going to carry cachet. Like the Rams go 13 and three or 14 and two. And, you know, it's, he's going to have the narrative, right? Like people love to vote for that, the story. And so like, he'll be in there with, with how he's played. And then I think Lamar Jackson as well. And I think we'll see this kind of play out uh, over the second half of the season, but what Lamar Jackson has had to deal with uh, this season that the Ravens having the most players on injured reserve, his uh, starting left tackle, one of the best left tackles in the league is out again. He's been just deal. He's dealing with pressure like crazy. He's been sacked at the highest rate since his rookie season. Um, they can't run the football with their running backs really effectively like they have in the past. And he's been forced to be more of a passer this season. And he's been excellent. He's been, he's been excellent as a passer this season. Uh, you know, uh, eight, 8.3 yards per pass attempt. Uh, he's not really turning the ball over. So, I mean, I think that if he can keep this up, he'll definitely start to, to earn, uh, you know, more, if more, uh, more votes and people in his corners, it goes on. But right now the goat, the goat is number one still. I mean, Brady's the front runner for me. Uh, and I would say that they're still the front runner for the Super Bowl favorite for me as well. I know it's chalky because they just won it, but there's really not a lot of holes in that roster. And if they can just continue to get healthy as the season goes on, uh, because I don't think anyone in the NFC South is really going to challenge them. I know they lost the Saints, and the Saints have been kind of uh, a dagger, you know, and been Brady's like kind of side. But we've seen them if they're not going to have Alvin Kamara and they're still dealing with this quarterback issue. Uh, I, I think that they're still have to play a little bit above their station so far this season. Oh, yes. For, I still think that the Rams showed how to beat the Buccaneers in that one game. And I do like the Cardinals as well in the NFC, just because it's hard to argue with Kyler Murray, who's also looked like an MVP-type candidate. NFC playoffs are going to be an absolute joy. They're going to be an absolute blast. NFC divisional round and after are going to be a joy for me, just because the wild cards outside of the one or two NFC West yeah. teams it's just going to be ugly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the teams are going to back in uh, are not going to be fun that first weekend. But once we get the the, the real people throwing throwing blows, it's going to be those real teams. I mean, because Packers, Cardinals, Rams, Cowboys, Bucks, that, then then we're really going to be looking at some some fun games. Yes. So, but who do you have in the AFC then? The AFC is wide open because I know the Titans have the best record, but this is a team I'm still, I still have questions about the Titans. Uh, they're, they're getting there still and they beat all these good teams. They deserve to be the, anyone that's backing them for sure. Uh, I still know if they have the defense that I believe in, you know, if they get home with four, like they did on Sunday, they could, they could definitely wreck a lot of people. And if Derrick Henry comes back in the playoffs, back to full strength, I mean, any, anyone can win that way, but it's hard to win their style with their style of football to win like four games in a row against really elite teams in the postseason. So there's some fragility there. We'd like to see, you know, Ryan Tannehill play a little bit better than he, than he has so far this season. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's wide open. I, I, I like the chargers a little bit, but I mean, the defense is so bad. It's, it's really hard for me to get behind them. Uh, you know, I like the Ravens, but they are a team that just have, they've had so many injuries and they, you've, you've seen them be up and down as well. It's really wide open. Uh, the Bills defense is playing excellent. If they can somehow figure out a little offensive balance and just not have things like that happened last week where they can be like, you know, have the pass taken away from them. Uh, I think that their team is set up because the defense is playing out of its mind uh, right now. 
Um, so, I mean, I would, I guess I would lean the bills by default just because I think they have the most kind of complete offense and defensive balance. Uh, but the AFC is wide open. Yeah, I think we can both agree that the Super Bowl winner will come from the NFC side. I mean, maybe we always think that stuff, but, uh, you know, then you look at the, you, you never know what, what can happen. I would favor the NFC for sure. Oh, yes. Uh, but you know, any, any of these teams like that can get in, uh, because the AFC teams that can get in, they at least have elite quarterbacks. And if, you know, if you get your elite quarterback, one of the elite quarterback teams get to the dance, then anything can happen. Oh, yes. Except if you're at the Browns who can yes. just running the ball. <laughs> that, and that's what scares me about like this of the Titans big picture, you know, is Ryan Tannehill going to be a guy that's going to reel off for, you know, strong games. Is he going to, and Baker Mayfield's the same way. But I, I do think Josh Allen is capable of doing it. I do think Lamar Jackson's capable of doing it. We know Patrick Mahomes is capable of doing it. And I think Justin Herbert is right on the cusp of being able to do that. So uh, those, those are the teams that stand out uh, the most. Yes. But uh, you mentioned, you did not mention Jonathan Taylor. And I'm always a backer for a non-quarterback to win the MVP award just because it rarely happens. And I was all in on Henry going to try to win it just with nearly four, with 219 attempts through however many games. And I know Taylor's not going to win it. But has he surprised you at all this season? No. I mean, I, this is the guy that I thought that we were getting, you know, coming out of college, you know, uh, you know, basically a running back. If you were to make a running back in, in the lab, like it would probably – look like Jonathan Taylor, you know, a guy that's 230 pounds can run a sub four five forty. Uh, you know, just you look at his resume, you know, even going back to college, I mean, 2000 yards, literally every season at power five conference. Uh, and he's basically been that player. It just took the Colts to kind of extend his workload a little bit. And, you know, he did deal with an injury early in the season, a knee injury, and maybe that kind of played a role into it. But now that they've kind of leaned in and his snaps have extended, he's running more pass routes too. Uh, you know, we're starting to see the takeoff for him. Yeah, he's not going to – Henry, actually, if he would have kept it up the whole season, he would have had a shot. I think he – like, there were – he would have got votes for sure. Yes. But, for John, I agree with you. I was – I could – I know I'm not a dynasty ranker or draft expert or anything like that, but Jonathan Taylor was my number one running back coming out of college, mm -hmm. and uh, J.K. Dobbins was my number two. Just because those guys I know can run and catch pass as well. Swift has surprised me completely because I didn't see think he had their best vision, but he's still looking really good as well. I mean, he's been great out of the backfield, but we have seen, like you said, like that uh, the the rushing the rushing production has been kind of uh, a thorn in the side, and that's why they keep playing Jamal Williams a neutral game script because. DeAndre Swift is actually right now he's the he's last in rushing yards below expectation uh and so I mean that's been kind of a, still a little, little bit of a thorn but for fantasy he's catching so many passes and receptions carry so much weight uh it, it's he's been he's been getting there on those yes I, remember, I believe it was a stat by Graham Barfield that said one catch is worth 1.65 carries in terms of fantasy points and that is why, like, Eckler does so well. Henry even was got 18, 19 cat passes, and that's why he was doing really well. Just something to keep in mind. So yeah, They're a little bit of a cheat code in a way. you got to get those the dual threat guys. Yes. So two of those that was running backs in that class, the 2020 class, Akers and Dobbins both suffered season-ending injuries before the season. You're a dynasty player. Which one would you rather have as of right now? 
Oh, still Dobbins for me. I mean, I, I had Dobbins ahead of him, of Acres, and you know, I don't think there's really anything that changed. I think he's in a perfect scheme for him too. It's, it's I mean, it's essentially all everything he did in college. Uh, he's right in that scheme. He's probably not going to catch a ton of passes in the Ravens offense uh, for the you know early part of his career. But uh, I, I still love the fit and I love the talent. And you know, the ACL injury also is shown to be one that guys bounce back from more than the Achilles, uh, you know, although, you know, acres, we've starting to see, like, could he possibly come back in the playoffs? He's been tweeting in videos of himself working out and kind of hinting like he could potentially play in the postseason. but I'm still a, a, a Dobbins guy over acres. Yes. And they're all hitters and certainly complicates matters with his emergence after him basically being dormant for the past two or three years. So the big news that came, broke today, we're filming this on Thursday, was OBJ signing with the Rams. What's your take on that? Yeah, I love it from his his angle because, well, one, uh, you, you have to remember, too, that, like, he's hurt. And, you know, it wasn't really kind of dis- discussed a lot through the process. He's got a torn labrum and a sprained AC joint in his shoulder that's going to require surgery in the offseason. So, I mean, I, I think that he definitely probably didn't have uh, the monetary offers that maybe he was looking for because of that reason. And we're also in the middle of the season. A lot of teams just don't have uh, a lot of loose cap, especially the good teams don't have a lot of loose cap right now. Uh, so that he was going to always have to, I think, go to be a comp- complimentary piece somewhere because of the injury uh, for him. It was the best thing. So, I mean, he could have went to Green Bay and played alongside Devontae Adams. But, you know, listen, it's cold. If you're going to ask me if I'm going to play in Los Angeles or, or Green Bay, I would probably choose Los Angeles too. Um, and then he also he came out, you know, they, they talked about, you know, him and Sean McVay, you know, had a conversation and Sean McVay, uh, you know, basically explaining how he could use him and, and use him to the best capabilities. Since Johnny Munt got hurt a couple weeks ago, the Rams have just been a base 11 personnel team. They've lived, they've lived in 11 personnel. Uh, 91% of uh, their offensive snaps have been in 11 personnel since Johnny Monk got hurt. It's the highest rate in the NFL. It, so it does stunt Van Jefferson. We'll probably won't see Van Jefferson really, uh, you know, kind of get his takeoff that we kind of all were hoping for. And it looked like we were going to get, um, but Odell can come in and, and play alongside an offense that's already established a great quarterback with a, a coordinator that knows how to, you know, design, you know, plays for everybody to maximize their ability. It, it reminds me a lot of when the Bucks added Odell Antonio Brown last year you know, at the, in the midway point, you know, Antonio Brown gets to come play with this lead offense. Everyone's kind of worried. Is there enough targets to go around? We don't really need to worry about that because the, the offense and the quarterback play is so good that these guys are going to find ways to get there. Uh, so I look at it very similarly to what the Bucks did last year with Antonio Brown. Yes. If I was Sean McVay though, I would prefer running four, four wide receiver sets with Van Jefferson, just because I don't trust Higby whatsoever. That's totally not biased at all. <laughs> but do you see OBJ cutting into Cooper Cup's workload a little bit just from the sheer volume standpoint of Cup? Yeah, I think it's, a you know, from a, an overall target perspective, there's going to be, you know, give from everybody. And, you know, maybe it was always unrealistic just to expect Cooper Cup to go wire to wire with, uh, you know, 35% of the team targets, uh, you know, it was probably always going to be a little lofty. I mean, he already has 103 targets on the season, uh, but he's going to be still, but also adding Odell Beckham on the field helps Cooper cup. You know, he's just the middle of the field is just going to be wide open still. So I expect Cooper cup to still be, you know, a pretty dominant force in this offense. Uh, it, it lowers the floor for a little bit of, uh, of all these guys. But like I said, like the buck situation, 
there might be some volatility week to week in terms of targets, but the offense and the system are so good that when you, when the dust settles, I mean, all these guys are going to have production when it comes down to it. Yes. Does Beckham still have it though? Still have his burst that we saw when, with him when he was with the Giants. Still could take that five yard slant, 65 yards to the house. Can he still do that? We, we have, haven't seen that element, like the yak Odell. Like we haven't really seen that in a while. Uh, but, you know, from my novice eye and like the work that Matt Harmon does charting wide receivers, I mean, he still scores really well in like reception perception that Matt does. And I, I, I definitely value Matt's work in his opinion. Uh, he's still getting open. And so, I mean, I just think it was a bad fit all around. I mean, you had a guy that, you know, maybe, maybe freelances and not doesn't run as rigid routes as maybe that the system wanted him to run and where he wins, maybe not uh, we're suited to where Baker Mayfield wins, you know, think the deep throws outside the numbers or on those, like, you know, those in breakers, like that's not really Baker Mayfield's game either. So, you know, it, the, the, it just really didn't fit. So we'll see how, uh, you know, he performs here with a, in a different offensive system and different quarterback, but uh, I still believe that, you know, Odell Beckham was a guy that was still getting open and creating separation. Uh, we know the hands can still be there too. So um, I'm looking forward to see this next chapter of his career because I would love to see him at least get back to being uh, a, a really, you know, good fantasy player. Um, the one thing like I said, that's scary. So he's playing hurt the rest of the season. Like that still has to be a factor uh, for a lot of people. Then uh, he already is, is going, it's already been stated he's going to have off season shoulder surgery. So always keep that in mind too, that the ceiling might still be a little lower uh, while he's still playing injured. Yes. Part of me wants to bring up Tom Brady going halfway through the last year with a torn MCL, but that'll be fine. So final question for you. What's your favorite metric for predicting fantasy success? I mean, it, it varies. Like, I wish there was just, just one thing, but, uh, you know, we always want to start with, you know, opportunity first. And we, when we talk about opportunity, it could be varying, not just raw targets, but, you know, percentage of team targets. Uh, where, are team, where, where are they getting targeted? You know, uh, you know, who's getting a high share of team air yards? So what is their depth of target? Uh, those types of things for like pass catchers, uh, volume for running backs is still is always going to be tried and true. Uh, and then when you go like under the hood and like we get into like the advanced metrics and stuff like that. I mean, like I said, I've mentioned like, you know, you know, rushing yards over expectation and under expectation a lot uh, that shows you like guys that can create on their own as well as what's getting created for them on the running back position. Um, and, you know, basically, like, when we're getting into the weeds, like the matchups, you know, what kind of defenses uh, are the, is an opponent facing? Where, uh, uh, where, what do these offenses do on a typical basis? So they want to get the ball to their fo- best flop players all the time. So does that match, does the line for defensive weakness, you know? Um, the, we've seen like this, like last week, you know, Keenan Allen and the Chargers tight end smash. They play the Eagles who play a ton of, you know, uh, you know, too high coverage uh, under Jonathan Gannon. Uh, they don't give up a lot of big plays. And you see like a guy like Mike Williams have two for 58, but then you see Keenan Allen have 12 catches. All the tight, tight ends get involved near the end zone. They had two tight end touchdowns and a two point conversion. So things like that are what we kind of look for when we get into the matchups. But, uh, you know, always start with opportunity first and, you know, then we can get under underlying into efficiency and then matchups after that. But you always want to start with the player and his opportunity first. Yes. Well, Rich, we thank you. I thank you for coming on. Uh, where can we find any of your work? Yeah, you can find everything I do at Sharp Football Analysis. I'm on Twitter at Lord Reeves. Uh, I always love coming on this show with you. I'm glad we got to do it. We got to fly solo. I also want to wish you a happy early birthday. 
Uh, I know your birthday's coming up. Uh, so we're going to need you to pass that driver's test so uh, you can put the heat on your dad, give him some stuff to worry about, uh, you know, with you hit, hitting, the, hitting the roads. Oh, he, he's already worried enough about it. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Right. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Tiller.